You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Good morning. If I've not had a chance to meet you, if you don't know who I am, uh, if, if you're fairly new or just haven't been here in a while, my name is Andy Hoffman. I'm the pastor of students and young adults here at Harvest. Um, and so we are heading into, into Christmas. So who's excited about this? Amen. Yeah? Christmas is my favorite. Oh, that was pretty weak. You guys aren't excited about Christmas? Man. Hey, look, Christmas is my favorite time of year. Um, and so here's the thing. As we're headed quickly into the Christmas season, I will not be the one to tell you that there are only 16 days left until Christmas. Um, <laughs> But look, during this time of year, man, we want to be so reminded about how the presence of Jesus has changed the world, right? How the presence uh, has changed, how his presence has changed lives and is still changing lives. This is the time of year where it's easy to focus on the manger and, and, and the Christmas story and Luke chapter 2. And, and those things are, are good, but sometimes that's all we ever hear about regarding Christmas, and we, we get so saturated with, with that that we kind of forget the, the larger picture. Now, now, we have Emmanuel, God with us, yes. Like, we, we believe this, but there's so much more that comes with his presence. Right? In his presence, we see the Old Testament prophecies that Jesus prove it over and, and over again. We see his, his virgin birth. We see his perfect life, his miracles, his humility, his Humanity, right? We often forget that part. Because of his presence, and this is kind of where we're going with this, with this series I mean, we can, we can know, experience, and show his love, joy, hope, and peace. We can know, we can know those things. See, Jesus' presence this Christmas, man, it starts as, as a picture of, of a baby and, and a manger, but, but it doesn't end there, and it's so much more than that, because we see the picture of a, the coming of a conquering king, the son of God, who reigns forever. We just don't see uh, the, the baby story, but we, we see the beginning of what we know is the end, and we're so happy to know that we actually know the end. And so today, we're going to be looking at how the presence of Jesus gives us a true picture of love. We're going to walk through the next four weeks. We're going to walk through love, joy, hope, and peace. So let me encourage you, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open with me to 1 John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, I man, just quickly, just go ahead and put your hand in the air. We'd love to get you one so you can follow along with us. Um, if you don't have one at home, by all means, please just keep it. It's our gift to you. Um, and so we'd love for you to be able to follow along. So we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 7 this morning. And it says this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not, does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. And if we love one another, though, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. 
By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love of God, has, uh, believe the love of God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have the confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who, did not, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Verse 21 says this, And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray together. We're going to walk through this uh, together as a church. Father God, Lord, we love you. And God, even reading a passage of love, God, I, I'm just reminded that, that you loved us first, and it's only because of your love that we can love, God, that we can know what love is, that we can, we can begin to understand this, this complex thing. And so, God, we rejoice in you this morning. God, we thank, we're, we're thankful for who you are, God. As, as we just took communion a few moments ago, God, that, that man, we are just reminded of, of the, the victory of the cross. And, God, as we just sang, worthy, worthy are you, Lord, God Almighty. God, I, and I just pray that, God, that you would just be with us today, God, as we walk through your word, God, that you would just illuminate these parts of our lives, not, not thinking it's something that we've heard before, God, but just be reminded of how glorious you truly are. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so here's, here's, here's the thing. The first thing you have to establish, like the word love, if you were track with me, if you're, if you're a counter like me, right, in my Bible, every time love is underlined in this passage, just in bright red, 25 times in 21 verses does it say love. So the question we have to ask is, what is love? And the problem that every time I say what is love, as, a, as a, just a transparency of who I am as a person, my life is a walking song lyric or movie quote. And I hear, what is love? And I say, baby, don't hurt me, don't hurt me no more. All right? Uh, that's the problem. <laughs> That's the problem with my mind sometimes, right? But we, we, need, to, we need to establish, like, what, what is love? And it means something to every different person, right? If you have a five-year-old, you say, what is love? They might give you a million different answers. Sometimes they're terrifying. Right? If I ask my five-year-old, what is love? Like, he's just like my daddy hugging me, right? But a lot of times it breaks down to two things. It breaks down to they, they know love because they... They, 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 can, they can process the security, and it's what we, we give them what they want, right? It's one of those, one of those two things, right? It's like they, they know we have security, and then it's give them what they want, right? For teenagers, how do they experience love? You give them what they want, right? But also, here's the thing, too. They, they know love because we, we put boundaries in place for their lives, and, and they're, they're going to test those boundaries. They're going to push and prod those boundaries. They're, gonna, they're really going to kind of make you wonder why you have boundaries sometimes. But they know at the end of the day that they're there for good measure. They're for protection. And, and they're because, you know, they, they are loved. And for, for some young adults, uh, I was a young adult not too long ago, right? I guess I still am young adult. I don't know what that even looks like anymore. Um, but, you know, we say, 
what is love, and it might be like they're in the middle of a plot of a really bad Hallmark Christmas movie. I mean, that, that might be one of those, right? Uh, for, for that from young adults, for, for adults, for when, when you kind of start adulting in the real world, right? What does that mean? Well, it might mean, you know, a stable marriage and children. Like, that, that might be what love means. So there's a million different expressions for a million different people. And in fact, love is such a, a huge target and concept that there's even something called the five love languages, of which you can, you can point out of, of what direction you like to be loved and what you want the love lavished upon you to look like. Right? Do you like gifts, words of affirmation, quality time, physical touch, right? All those different things. I know I missed one. I just forget it, right? And so, uh, and, and, you know, really, we, we look at that. But here's the thing. Looking at this passage and looking at the words of John, I mean, when we say love, it's really this culmination of, of Paul's description of 1 Corinthians 13. Now, I'm not going to go into that because that's a whole topic within itself, but, but love is a complex thing. Like You can't really concisely define love right? because it's so vast, and we usually only understand a fragment of it, and the fragment that we're understanding at that point is you know, we, we sometimes forget about like, like love does not envy, right? And, but, so we're, we're over here, but then it's over here, and, and we really can't fully grasp that. And we, we all have a concept of what that is, but in this passage, like I said, we're going to be walking through because of the presence of Jesus, because that the presence of him in the manger and his presence through his earthly ministry, I mean, we, we're going to see in the next few weeks how we can know the love of God, how we can experience the love of God, and how we can show the love of God today. And in this passage, I mean, every, all, all those things are kind of intertwined together, and so I'm going to be parsing out different pieces here and there, um, but that's really where it is. And so if we say... Like, what is love? And we've established that. The next thing we have to say is, all right, so what does it mean to know something, right? We have to kind of define these things. Like, what does it mean to know of God's love because of the presence of Jesus? Like, what does it mean to actually know? Does it mean to, like, to have the knowledge of it? Does it mean to, like, believe it as a fact? Does it, does it, does it mean that, that we can often, like, you know, decide that it exists based on our experience? Like, what, is it, what does this actually look like? And so, man, I just love this passage, I love how this ties in. Like, why do we come to know God? Like, why do we come to him? Like, we often come to him because we know that he loves us, right? We, we have this innate understanding that, that God loves us. E- even when we experience or show love, it's God's common grace to humanity that, that we have actually the capacity to love. That's based straight out of the scriptures. Like, you have common grace in your life to experience and show love because God first loved you. Outside of that, you're not going to be able to understand what love truly is and what, actually, what love actually looks like. There's something that people readily admit that they know that God loves them, or they, they yeah, 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 I, well, God is love. That's what the Bible says, right? So, but then it's weird because then on the polar opposite, you're like, no, like, they, like, have you seen the messed up world, Andy? Like, there's those who say, like, God's angry at us. Like, God doesn't love us. Like, what is that? Like, yeah, I know he doesn't love us. There are loves you say, like, God isn't love at all, but rather love is strictly like some sort of chemical balance where it releases serotonin into your system, and therefore, what? You associate good feelings with the person of who you're hanging around or whatever you're experiencing life with. Like, all these different things about this no question. So regardless of where we end up on the question, we end up talking about love because everyone wants to feel loved. They want to be respected. They want to be cared for. And all those are elements of love, right? So look, looking at the text, like, we dive right into that, right? We say... Beloved, let us love one another, for love is, is from God. Right? So regardless of what you believe, the, the, wherever you are this morning, regardless of what you, what you believe, the, the, the Bible clearly states that God loves you. 
As someone who's been walking with Christ for many years of my life, I can say that God loves you. I can say that God loves me even in the midst of my stupidity. Even in the midst of everything that I've done wrong, I still believe that God loves me. And we're going to kind of dive deeper into that, but we understand, like, how do we know? Because it says in Landon's passage that love is from God. And if, if love is from God, like, we need to love one another. So if, if God assumes that, if we know that God, God is love, and we assume that, like, we're supposed to love one another, we can also make the connection that God loves us. And there's no way around that. And some of you guys just need to be reminded that God loves you this morning. He's not angry with you. He's not sitting there, like, waiting for you to screw up so he can take back his love from you. If you are his child, he's going to love you as a perfect father loves you. Now, that love might always look like the way you want it to look like, but he loves you surely. And if you're not a believer in this room and you're sitting around like, dude, I've never felt that, yeah. Because you can't experience something in the way that a believer would outside of God. You're not going to be able to experience those things the, the same way. Like, he desires to know you. So, the beloved, let us love one another. Collectively, the church, right? This is a tough pass to understand because we, we often don't understand its context. We're like, oh, I should just love everybody. But, but when you look into the, the text of this and coming through the, the letter of 1 John and all these different things, John, John's discussing this, this binding love between one believer to the next. He's not talking about a non-believer and a believer. He's not talking about that kind of love. Though that love exists, right, because that's God's common grace to us, it's talking about a deeper love, a binding love that we have in Christ, I've often told people, like, man, the, the church is one of the only places that can, people from completely different backgrounds and, and, and hobbies and everything else can find one common ground within the church. Man, even people on different sides of political aisles can find common ground in the church. It's amazing. And so we, we, we look at that passage like, let us love one another for, for love is, is from God. Right? And this isn't speaking, again, like this is a binding love. It's not speaking of like this, this, this bad, generic, romance, movie, rom-com love. It's talking about this uncommon love. Because of Christ and his presence, we, we can come to truly know that love. We can come to truly understand that love. I love what Danny Aiken says. He says this, and it's pretty clear, and it's pretty redundant, but he gets the point across. The basis for this love the, com the, the, common, or the uncommon binding love that, that John is talking about here. The basis for this love is God in his love, right? So it's not our love, it's his love that he gives us. In fact, it is because love is from God. Love flow, flows from or out of God and has God as its spring or its source. Not only is this true of God, but all who love and have been born of God. So we, we see in this passage collectively, we see that God is the source of all these things. And we know so often in our head that we know that God is the source of all of these different things. But see, it says, not only is this true of God, I love how Danny says this, but all who love and have been born of God. So if you are in Christ, you are to love the same way that Christ loves you. And that is hard. Right? Because if I'm looking at it, like so often I walk, I'm like, yeah, God, I know I screwed up today. I know I made you mad. I know I've not been obedient to you. I know, I know I've not been following you, but like, I still need your love. And you turn around to a friend who's, who's like, yeah, man, like you haven't been kind. I mean, you haven't called me. You haven't, re you haven't retweeted me at all. You haven't sent back a, a, an iMessage. You haven't done anything. Like, I don't know you. I don't love you anymore. Because our love is just so fickle and we know it is. And Danny Aiken actually takes a step further and says, one who does not love is a stranger to God. 
One who does not love is a stranger to God. And everyone in this room is like, well, I love people. Do you? <laughs> Do you really? Because if we love people, we'd be quick to forgive. And if we love people, we'd be quick to listen and slow to respond. Because if we love people, we wouldn't envy what they had. And we'd show mercy and compassion to them. We show them patience beyond measure. Like, do we really love each other? Do we really love people? Do we really abide in God's uncommon binding love? Like, do we know these things? You know, we, we look at this, and on the opposite end of this, verse 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. It's exactly what that's saying. But we, and this is where we get really caught up as believers, right? Because there's a lot of people, raise your hand if you've ever heard someone who's not a believer say, well, isn't God his love? Good majority of you guys. Right? You say like, oh, God, God is love. And the question we always run into is this. All right, Andy, well, if, if your God is love, how come this world is completely messed up? I mean, if, if your God is love, why does God allow such evil Man, Andy, if, if God is love, like how come your own church members can't even like each other? That's a harder one to defend, by the way. Because I can talk about the sin nature of people. I can talk about the wickedness of people, even within our own church. But it's really hard to tell someone about the knowledge of God and that God is love when, when, when not necessarily here, but when, when our own churches can't just get it in their hearts to love each other. And they're believers supposed to be binded in uncommon love. They're like, I, like, dude, like, man, like this church down the road, like I hear about them. I know what they say about each other because they work with me. They go to the same church and they hate each other. I'm like, yeah. So you expect me to walk into this, this, this tribe of believers who are binded by this uncommon love and like they're not even caring for each other. In fact, they, they don't even like each other. Like they're Hatfield and McCoy feuding. It's harder to, harder to defend. But it's also because sometimes we get it backwards. Like we, like we know God is love, but sometimes we say love is God. And we create this love thing as an idol. Like love is God. Like that's not true. God is love. And that begins when we begin to look at the lens of love through our own lives and our own lenses. We begin to really pervert and skew how God is love. Because when, when we explain it, we explain it from our personal experiences rather than the, the glory of King Jesus and the glory of who God is and the majesty of who he is and the throne of which he sits on and the ruling of which he has. And we say, yeah, something like that. And, and we walk on this. And so the, the other thing I've ever heard is, well, Andy, if God is love, then why does God send people to hell? I don't like thinking about that, but we as Christians know that fact, that if you are separated from Christ and you die separated from Christ, you are eternally separated from him. And there's only two options when you die, church. It's either you are with Christ, bound with him, and you are in heaven sitting with him in his glory and in his majesty, or you're eternally separated from him and you are tormented eternally in the fires of hell. Like, like, that's not my interpretation. That's clear as day in the scriptures. And in fact, Jesus says, man, don't, don't fear the one. We're going to kind of talk about this later. He's like, don't fear the one who, who can only hurt your body, but not your soul. Better yet, 
Look truly and fear the one who can do both. And we look at this collectively and we say, all right, so I know that. But if God is love, why hell? Because his love is perfect and just. And there's times where in his love, like outside, we, like, we just don't understand it. Like we, we can't comprehend it because so often like in our, and we, we have mercy within us. Even people who don't follow Jesus have a sense of mercy and compassion within them. And when we say someone's going to be eternally torched by fire, we kind of like balk at that a little bit because we know that there's something wrong with that. Yes, because that was not God's intended design for you. That was not God's intended design for humanity. That's why we balk at the very thing. We, we balk at that and we say, like, that, that sounds messed up, man. Like, your God is love. That sounds messed up. It does sound messed up because it wasn't God's picture for you. But he has a holy standard of which he puts before you and says, this is what I, what I demand. Because I can't even come into the presence of sinfulness. And so we, we, we know that, right? We, we know this the love of God. And here's the thing, that's kind of a depressing statement to really make, but I love this, right? Look at me in verse 10. It says, in this is love. In what? In this, like, like John's saying, like, in this, like, look what I'm about to say. Keep reading, like, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. So not that he, not that, not that there's anything great about us, not that we loved him, but he looked so mercifully and compassionately upon us that he's like, oh yeah, I want you, I desire you, I'm going to save you, and I'm going to send my son to do it. And look, I know exactly what Brett said, I know what that's going to take. It's going to take the brutality of death on a cross, but by his wounds, you will be healed. Amen. By his wounds, you'll be healed. And this is like, kind of like, I look at like, like the mini John 3.16 passage, right? Verse 9 and 10 collectively kind of, kind of tie this together. But this John 10 passage specifically, like he is hanging on the cross, being the propitiation, the, the sacrifice, the exchange of our sins. Even like, it reminds me of a John, John 15.13 where it says, like, greater love has no man than this, than he who would lay his life down for his friends. Right? And that's the picture of Christ on, on the cross. And, and we even know this. Look, church, as we are walking outside of Christ, we are enemies of God. And Paul writes in Romans that while you were an enemy of Christ, while we, you were actively waging war against God, he sent his son to die for you. That's exactly what this pours into. This is exactly what this is. And so we, we see this, this beauty in, in John 3.16. Like that's, this is the mini John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Right? And so we look at this. This is this, this word love here is this word agape in the Greek, and it's literally like this giving love, like this caring love. It's not this romantic love that we hear about, it's about this selfless, sacrificial love that we, we experience from God. And church, also going back, if we are loved by God, we are to love others in the same way. So we are to, we are to show other people sacrificial, selfless love. And so often in our culture, it is a reciprocated love that we demand. You love me, I love you. Oh, Christmas time proves it. Oh, they got me a present. Oh, they're going to be here in 25 minutes. Can I make it down to shoppers? Can I make it down to Canadian Tire? Can I make it down to Walmart and get back, wrap the present, and act like I never left the house in 20 minutes? Because it's this reciprocating love that we also demand, but so much God's like, it's like I don't need reciprocation from you, and in fact, there's nothing you can give me. He says, but I love you, and I want to give myself for you. 
And see, the pur- guys, the, the purpose of sending Christ was not the incarnation. It was the atonement. The incarnation, like it says, is just the beginning of the end. It's just the beginning of the end. And, and we're looking at this picture of, like, the glory of Jesus. And I love, I love these things. Like, we, we, we are to have joy in this love that he gives us. See, John 3.16, like, Jesus offers himself for the world. John, uh, 1 John 4.10, he offers himself for the world. If you even look back, if you have the opportunity, like look back to 1 John 3, verse 8. It really it actually says this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The sole reason Jesus came was to destroy the works of the devil. And church, hear me when I say this. Your separation from him is a work of the devil. And so he's come to destroy the separation between God and man. And he did that through Jesus he did that through sending him and all the Old Testament prophecies that point to them. One time I heard it, it was literally like one to one point to the 52nd power of all the things that all the prophecies of Jesus coming true in one person. And so you see all these prophecies coming true and then you see all these different things happening. You're like, and, and we look and we're like, I'm not sure if he's Jesus. I mean, like these rabbis, they knew the Old Testament. They knew the Old Testament better than I did. And when I read the Old Testament, I'm like, how did you not, how, how did you not do that? How did you not see this? But often that's in my prideful state of like, well, I saw it. Well, that's because I have commentaries. They didn't, right? But at the same time, but at the same time, someone who knew the Jewish law should be able to see the picture of Jesus and everything that was going on. And outside of their own pride and blindness, they just say, ah, who is that? And we see the story of Nicodemus, like this, this guy at night comes Nicodemus in the cover of night, usually because, well, he was a prominent Pharisee, but because probably he was going to Jesus Kind of nonchalantly. Maybe his friends, maybe they won't see me. Maybe I'll kind of slide in. And we see his experience with Jesus. And we see Nicodemus start asking all these questions. And Jesus is like, man, like, you, you know the law. Like, do you not know these things? And then we see Nicodemus start asking. And he, what we see is, there, so he has this conversation. And then he says, you must be born again. He's like, how can I be born again? And he was like, well, it's not of, not of your mother, but of spirit. So you have to be born of, of, of water and of spirit. And, and so Nicodemus gets really confused, and he's like, all right, cool. So the next thing we see is, is him leaving, and then the, the, the narrative progresses. But then we see in John chapter 7, when all the Pharisees are questioning uh, about who Jesus is, it says that Nicodemus, who went to him at night, pretty much stands up for Jesus. like, look, man, like, should we at least hear this guy out? So wait, wait. So we see a Pharisee in John 3, and then we see... The same Pharisee in John 7 defending Jesus, who he never would have defended before. And then when we see the two men carrying Jesus into the tomb, I believe in John 19, we see Nicodemus, the one who visited him at night, was one of the men carrying Jesus. We see, we see the progress of the affection and the power of God's love in those moments. And so the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And God's love was prompted by his love for us, not how great we are. And I know that's hard to believe. All right? I know that's hard to believe because some of us, like, we're like, I could walk on water. Right? And you take that first step forward and you realize pretty quickly you are in the water. Right? And look, Christian, I just want to say this. Like, do not rob God of his greatness of his love. And so often we do, when we, when we try to walk around, like in, in, in theory, in our minds, like we know there's nothing we can do to earn God's love, but everything about us and what we do says, yeah, I'm going to try. And we rob God of his love for us. And I love what John Piper says, in the midst of this, 
This love, this, this agape love, this uncommon, given, sacrificial, selfless love is a faith-creating love. Because when we get to the place that we realize there's nothing that we can do to earn God's love, and God's love is solely from him, when we know that, it creates a faith-building love. And it has a faith-creating love. And I love this. Verse 12 says this, No one has ever seen God If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And some of you guys are like, wait a minute, Isaiah chapter 6, Andy, someone saw God. Uh, Andy, Moses saw the back of God. He saw God. Mm. What John is saying here is that no man has ever seen God in his essence and his glory. He's never, never fully seen this, but he is seen. Church, I'm not making a stretch when I say this. God's essence and glory should be seen and can be seen in how we treat others. And how we treat fellow believers, and how we love others, and how we love fellow believers. See, no one has ever seen God in this true form. If we love one another, look, God, He abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. Now, honestly, I, when I read the word perfect or perfected on this side of heaven, I get really nervous. Right? Because then we're like, all right. Because you get people who are like, all right, Andy, like, uh, your love should be perfected. Uh, no. <laughs> this is a process called sanctification. And that word literally means to become more like Christ. But knowing him, as we take steps towards him, as we see his glory more and more, we see his love and we can replicate his love. So love is from God. But here's the thing. Look at me, verse uh, 13 through 15. Love is proof that we have the Spirit. Am I there? There I am. Okay. I don't know what happened there. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Look, look, because he has given us his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God abides in him and he in God. Love is proof that we have the spirit of God within us. The way that we love in this uncommon binding love is proof that we have the spirit within us. You look at John 16, 7, right? It says this, I'm going to paraphrase. Jesus says, guys, I'm leaving. And they freak out. He's like, no, I'm leaving that something better can come. Because if I'm here, the spirit cannot come. Therefore, I must leave that he can come, that you can do more works than me. And I'm like, son, if I, there it is, David, right? If I ever, if I ever got to a place where I say, you know what? Like, I I love being here, but I got to go so someone better can come, man, like, Think about the love of that for a moment. When you truly want the better for people and the best for other people, could you imagine taking the mind of Jesus and saying, like, I gotta go, but I'm not leaving you alone. When I go, someone better is coming, and that is the Spirit of God which will dwell within you, and you will be able to do mighty, wonderful things. You can do so much with the Spirit. It's like love is the proof that we have the Spirit, right? And so, so in the verse 13, he says, like, I write these things that you're going to know these things, right? And I love the Trinitarian nature of this verse too, right? So God the Father sent Jesus the Son, and because of Jesus the Son, you know you have the Spirit. So when people say the Trinity is not in the Bible, <laughs> there it is, all right? 
God sent Christ for us, and we evidence love because of the Spirit within us. And if we love in a godly way, we are abiding in some of the fullest parts of God. See, we can love out of a compassion and not a guilt. We can love out of a desire, not out of an obligation, right? And so we get to that place. Like, we, we love to prove God and his love as his people, and, and we contact that love through, through beginning to see a glimpse of who he is. And here's the scary thing, is that we now live in a culture that has moved away from desiring knowledge to desiring content, right? I have the the opportunity to work with with students, grades 6 through 12, young adults, and I've seen a radical shift in how our students and young adults perceive new knowledge and information and so often they want content over knowledge. And even, I was talking to a church member on the way uh, to and from an event that we had on Friday, and he was like, yeah, he's like, Andy, look. He's like, it's not only that, but it's also the way of how they perceive content and knowledge. Like, I will tell them something, and instead of taking my word for it, they'll Google it. <laughs> and then they'll say, okay, you are right. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I studied it too. I read the same passage you did. Or they'll try to pull out every little part and be like, well, Google says that you're half right, <laughs> right? Or we just start going, hey, Alexa, <laughs> right? And so we begin to, to see this, this thing. And so we, uh, the scary thing, that we, we move from desire knowledge to desiring content, right? So in this culture, we seem to want a system update every three to six weeks. And most of the time, that has bugs in it and it messes up your phone, right? Uh, but here's the thing, like, what do these updates do? They're supposed to give us a better version of what was before, for many of us, like, we, we think that we have to constantly be improving ourselves and showing others how worthy we are of their affections, and that's wrong. Right? So why do we do this? It's because we want love. But often we replace the love of God with the desire of love of other people because God can't like your Instagram post, and God can't retweet you. And God can't share your posts. And so somehow we, we get some sort of affirmation from other people telling us you are loved and valued outside of God loves and values you. And we rest in the identity of other people, not the identity of Jesus in these moments. And though his presence is here and we can know his love more because he's already been here, what he's already done, we still say, God, I, I just don't know. I'm just not, I'm not quite sure. Though we know the love of God, we, we often feel like we don't experience the love of God and we want to try to fulfill only what he can in other people and other things. So either that or we've tossed out the care of the knowledge of God for all experience and that leads us down a, a place of dangerous theology because we're like, I haven't felt God today and if I don't feel God today, like I don't know where this is going to lead me. Like our, our relationship with Christ becomes strictly an emotional ascent. And when we come off the emotional mountain, we're like, oh, did God leave me? Like, where am I at? And we got to know these things, church. We have to know what these things are. And so we know them. But here's the great thing. We can experience the love of God because of his presence. We can experience the love of God. Go back with me and look at verse 9. It says this. Again, John writes this verse 9 and verse 10 back to back. In this is love. Well, in what? He's saying, again, pay attention here. In this, the love of God was made what? 
manifest among us, which means he was brought here. He was brought in form here. He was made manifest among us so that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. He's made manifest. He came to earth. He left heaven to be with us in this is love. And there is a difference between God saying he is love and him showing us he is love, right? How many of you guys believe talk is cheap? So if I ever had someone just be like, I love you, 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 but they never showed an act of love, I would say, do you? Man, like, do, do you? Like, God, you tell me your love, but I see none of your love around here. And God's like, let me show you. I'm going to make myself manifest and walk among you. Right? And, and when you have experienced the love of God, we are not the same. There is a visible difference, right? I grew up in uh, Florida. A lot of you guys know that. I have a lot of Florida stories. Just write a book. But in 1998... It is known as the night of the tornadoes in central Florida. So we had a lot of really large EF3 tornadoes, almost EF4 tornadoes going through parts of central Florida, I think 25 in total. Um, One of those went about a quarter mile from my house. And uh, I still remember this story. I woke up, walked to the bathroom, went to go turn on the light, the light didn't go on. All right, that's weird. My house is in kind of like an L shape, right? So I walked from my, my hallway, walked around. My, in the, our living room is kind of in the, the center part of the L. And my dad was laying on the couch looking out the window. And I, I remember saying, Dad, Dad, never acknowledged me. I was like, whatever. So I walked around. <laughs> I walked around the, the, the part of my house, went to the half bathroom, flipped the light on, no power. I was like, this is really weird. So eventually I made my way back to bed, fell back asleep. Woke up the next morning. How I remember this, this string of events, I, I don't know. But I woke up the next morning, and it was like 10.30 in the morning, right? I was like, Mom, let me skip school. Sweet. Right? And so I called my mom. Phone lines weren't up. Like, this is weird. So eventually she, she comes back to the house, and she was there. And it was like five minutes she was going, right? And she was like, I'm like, Mom, why, why didn't you wake me up for school? And she was like, did you not hear what happened last night? I was like, no, what are you talking about? Apparently, when my dad was laying on the couch is when my dad heard the roar of the tornado. This massive EF3 tornado, right? This is how I remember this story. So I remember him laying there, and that was the timeline right at that moment, because I remember lightning and all this crazy stuff, but like, I, just, I remember the interaction I had with my dad and him not responding, and I'm beginning to put it together of like, he didn't hear me because it was so loud in the house. Next morning, driving down through what's called Neptune Road, and you're driving in this beautiful, lush, you know, uh, wooded area and has houses in, in, you know, and you're driving, 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 and then it was a, a split. And for about a quarter mile or so, it was just an empty, barren wasteland with destroyed homes in it, and then right back to beautiful houses with trees. Just a clear-cut path. Right? And I remember that. And then I'm thinking about, like, man, like, what other way can I experience this? Like, like, I knew a tornado went through. Trust me, I did. I saw the damage and the destruction. And they still talk about it in Central Florida. 
And that's just a picture. I mean, that, that's a destructive picture. Hear me when I say this. There's, there's no joy in that, right? But when we start saying, like, the love of God, and when we, when we experience the love of God, we're not the same because there is a visible difference. That's what I think of. I don't know why, but it's what I think of because I remember the destruction. I remember how clear as day that was. But I but also remember this. Man, if God's love is the way he says it is, when I've encountered God's love, man, it's not going to leave me the same. It's not going to leave me in, the, in the, same, the same place. So, you know, how do you know that your, your experience with God is absolutely genuine? You don't look the same. You don't think the same. You don't act the same. You don't love the same. And if Christians can't figure out how to love other Christians, then how in the world can we love non-believers? Kind of alluded to that earlier. How do we get to that point? See, verse 9 literally is God sent his son that we might live through him. And we too often don't experience God's love without surrender to God. Church, hear me when I say that. And we often want the blessings of God without the obedience to God. And so we, we see, let's look at me, verse 16 to 18. It says this, so we have come to know and to believe that the love of God has, uh, has for us. God is love. There's that God is love again. And whoever abides in my love abides in God and God abides in him. By this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because he is also as we were in this world. There is no fear in love, but love, perfect love casts out all fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Church, the fullness of God's love is shown when we abide in him. This feels like the back end of John 15. We abide in him and he abides in us. If we abide in his love, we get the fullness of his love. We have confidence in the day of judgment. Knowing and experience often go hand in hand because experience will often prove or disprove what you know, right? So when we, when we abide in Christ's love by walking in his ways, then we can experience the fullness of the reality of his love, his joy, and his blessing, right? And so we get to that place like when we walk in sin, listen to me when I, when I say this, when we walk in sin, God's love to us often feels oppressive, and this is a great conversation that Pastor Brett and I had about this, right? Like, when we walk in sin, God's love towards us feels oppressive. So when a non-believer or a believer living in sin comes into a church service like this or somewhere else or wherever, and people are nice, and there was a gentle little sermon, and the worship was good, they still leaving feeling judged. Why is that? Because God's love seems oppressive to them. Because the way that he's showing his love to them often doesn't line up with what they think it should look like. Hebrews 12, 6, that the Lord disciplines those he loves. So I can thank Rick Reed for what I'm about to say. When we had a chance as a staff to go to Oak, uh, Harvest Oakville this past Tuesday, I think it was Tuesday, and, and he, he shared a great message out of the backside of John 15. How many, how many of you have ever heard that God is, has unconditional love? Let me just put your hands up, unconditional love. It means he loves you without condition. And I, I would frame that way, and I'd be like, okay, God's love is unconditional, but let's, let's walk with this real quick. What Rick said is, we often hear unconditional love, but God's love is not unconditional, because if you look at the scriptures, if we abide in him and him in us, if, that's the condition, if we abide in God's love, right? But he did say this, it might not be unconditional, because there is a condition, but it is an unfailing love, right? God's love is unfailing. God's love is always there. God's love is always ready to be lavished upon you. It's always there, but we don't experience that love if we don't live in his commandments, right? That's the condition, if. So he loves you. He's, he has an unfailing love, but the way that we experience his love is different. 
It's like my children. When my children are being obedient to me, when my children are doing what they're supposed to be doing, when they're not biting their brother or sister, when they're not kicking each other, when they're not scratching each other, when they don't like come out of the room 15 times after I put them to bed, right? When they don't do those things, they get the fullest part of my love. Now, my love for my children is always there. But when they're obeying me and when they're being obedient, when they're being acting in the way that I've, I've laid out for them and they know better, man, they, they get the fullness of my affection. On the other side, when they're acting, you know, <laughs> when they're acting in those ways, man, I still love them. But they get another side of my love that they don't like to experience, and it's called discipline. And whether, whether it's time out or whatever discipline, like, you know, what, whatever it, that looks like, like, w- they don't like it. I'm still, I still love my children. I will always love my children. They're my children. I will love them better than you will love my children because they're my children. But we see my love is to them in my frail, finite ability is unfailing. I will never not love my children. But the way of what I love them and how I love them varies upon their obedience to the Father. Just like our love, if we abide in him, we get the fullness of his blessing when we walk in obedience to him. And I know for us it's kind of hard to hear because we don't like thinking about that, but that is reading that through the scriptures. And so we can experience God's love. So we can experience it in that way, but here's the thing. Here's the way I like experiencing it is John 3, 16, right? I like experiencing it through John 9, 1 John 9 and 10, right? That he loved us and he lavishes us with his love through the work of Jesus on the cross. That is where I like to be. So often that's not where I am and God's like, stop it, right? But... I get to a place where that is the fullness. That's how we experience God's love. We experience it through common grace, through one another, through, through, loving, uh, through uh, loving through a spouse or loving your children. Like he shows us these things. We can experience God's love. And here's the last thing. Because of the presence of Jesus, we now can show God's love. So if we know what it looks like and we have experienced his love firsthand, we can now and are expected to go and show his love to other people. Verse 11 says this. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. All right. Verse 19 through 21 says this. We love because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has, whom he has seen, cannot love God with whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. It is very clear that we are to love one another. And we love because God first chose to love us. Right? So we show this. Hey, church, love is a command. Black and white of my Bible, it is a command, right? We can show it. It's a command. It's not an option. It's not an option. And in this time of year, like, we have so many different opportunities to share the gospel because we can, we're with people maybe normally that we're not with year-round. Or, the, you know, you have family who is not a believer who come into town Right? And you have these opportunities to share the gospel with them. And, and we love to lead people into a relationship with Jesus. As a believer and as a Christian, man, that, that should be a, a, a thing from your heart where you just want to see someone come to repent of their sin and follow Jesus. And if it's not, man, come talk to me about that. Because we should have a heart desire for people to re- turn and respond to Jesus. And we, we show other people, but often we need to show them in our way. I love what Mark Driscoll says. He says this, Sometimes 
especially during the Christmas season, we want people to get so connected to God and God's word that we get in the middle of their connection with God and we become the meddler and not the helper. Hear me when I say this. I agree with that wholeheartedly because here's the thing. Often when we see an unbeliever, we want to take control of their spiritual life and say, ah, now that you're a believer, you do this. And we expect them to be where we are walking with Jesus 25 years and 25 minutes. It's not going to happen, right? I want to take that a step further. What, what Mark Driscoll says. Sometimes we love others so much that we truly want the best for them, but we end up pushing them away from walking with Jesus. Well, Andy, how does that happen? Because what we think is a rejection of God's love is really a rejection of the method of how we're trying to force them into God's love. It's not about you. It's not about you. God's love is not dependent on you. God's love is dependent on himself and his glory and his majesty and his dominion and his authority. It's, it's dependent upon himself, not, not us. Sometimes our love to other people needs to be shown through patience with other people. I mean, that's believer, non-believer across the board. You can ask my wife, I am not a patient person. It is something that I'm working on, but I'm not a patient person. And I think half the guys in this room are nodding with me. <laughs> and and here's, here's the thing. We have to learn to be patient. And we have to learn to love other people and get out of their way. Church, I, I just got to say this. Remember when you engage people on social media platforms? that they are not a profile picture, but it's a person on the other end of that conversation. You guys hear me? So when we take to Twitter, when we take to Facebook, when we take to any of these social media things, remember there's a person on the other end. And it's not just a screen, and not just a keyboard, and not just an Autobot replying back to you. We need to hear that because as a culture in the church, that is one of the things that easily allows the enemy to come in and separate the church by having divisiveness come within us and then within other people. And then guess what? Social media doesn't play out in private church. It plays out in the public arena. And everyone sees it. Even people that you might intend, well, well, I don't have them as a friend. Guess what? If their friend is your friend and you have a mutual friend, it still shows up on their timeline or it still shows up on their Twitter feed. Church, I'm not, I'm not innocent of this by any means. There's been times where I've spat out plenty of just things where I might have been right, but it was just done on the wrong medium in the wrong way. And I end up, I end up losing the conversation then winning the conversation. And I felt like a grade-A jerk at the end of it. And then I'm trying to find a way to, to, to reach them again, and they've blocked me, or they just won't talk to me. They don't want to engage with me. Even when I see them in, in, in person, like they don't want to talk to me because they're like, ah, I know, I, mm, I'm good. And so, like, when we say love is command, yeah, love people, but sometimes it's just being patient with them. Sometimes it's, it's not getting in the middle of their relationship with God, it's walking alongside them. And we can show, so it's a commandment we also know, we can reflect, uh, love reflects God's character. This passage, verse 19 through 21, literally just says, to say you love God and hate other believers makes us liars. And you'll say, but, but I don't hate anyone, I, hate my God. I just, I don't hate when we don't want to forgive or when we don't want to reconcile or when we, don't want to hold, when we hold a sense of pride, it falls under that. 
It really falls underneath of that. Sometimes as Christians, when we're dealing with non-Christians, trying to show other people love, we have a tendency to stick our noses up at, at everybody else. We think that our theological system is the best way and the only way. And if you don't come to my conclusion on this way, then I am not going to listen to you. And then when, when people stumble, we go, what'd you do that for? But God cheers at the steps of obedience. And it's crazy to me, if we're supposed to show God's love, why do we, when people take steps of obedience, we say, that took you long enough. See, that's how we show God's love, by being patient, by, by showing his true love, by being, by, by being patient, by showing compassion. This is where I call my Calvinist friends and my Arminian friends to reconcile, okay? Some of you guys are really, hmm. <laughs> but it's true. Man, church, like, let's just have a powwow as believers. Like, if we can't just, like, it's okay to have different understandings as long as they're biblical and the foundation in Jesus is correct. It's okay. You can have a dialogue. But when that's all we ever talk about, it becomes divisive and not unifying. And some of you guys, I'm really hitting at some of your pigeonholes right here, and that's good. Church, we have to love each other more than tulip, and we have to love each other more than my free will. We have to love each other more than that. Like, those things are important. And there, there's times where you can really get really wonky theologies and stuff like that, so we've got to be careful. But at the same time, we have to have room to look at the scriptures and say, yes, Jesus is central. And here's where we're at. And have a dialogue, right? That's sometimes what, what it, just reflecting God's character in that. Here's one thing I love from John Stott. Some of you guys don't like John Stott, but I think he has, he's a quote master, right? It is obviously easier to love and serve a visible man than an invisible God. And if we fail in the easier task, it is absurd to claim that we can have success in the harder. If we cannot love one another, if we cannot show the love of God to one another, man, how are we really going to show love to God and love to other people? It's just true, right? And so at the end of this, right, we, we can know the experience of God's love, or we can, we can know God's love, we can experience God's love, we can show God's love. Church, this is, this is us as believers. This should be a unifying call within us as a church. And if not at any other season, though it should be, at least the Christmas season, let's be patient and let's show love and let's speak these things. Let's be gentle and show compassion. Let's allow people to, to come to a place with God that, look, if they took a step of obedience, great, because that means they're one step closer to following Jesus than they were the, the day before. That's where we need to come. We pray for those people. We pray for ourselves. We pray for our church that we maintain unity, that the devil not get a foothold within our hearts to cause division among us and separate the love. All right, church, that's our call today. Let's pray together. Father God, Lord, we love you. God, you are glorious. God, you are worthy of all praise, God, and Man, God, I pray, I, God, I, for me, when, when I struggle to love people, God, I just, I confess that, and, I, and God, I ask for forgiveness in that, God. And God, I pray that we would all get to a place where we desire to have your love shown through us more than ourselves. God, that we would, we would care more about other people than, than about how we show or how we experience God. But God, I pray that, that when people take a step of obedience, God, that we would rejoice with them, that we wouldn't ask the question of how long did it take you to get there and why? 
but God, that we would, we would be a people who are encouraged by your love, God, because of the presence of Jesus, starting in the manger, but ending as a conquering king, God, for our sin and our faults and everything that we bring, even, even the, whatever they might be, God. God, I just pray that you would just continue to open our hearts and our minds. God, that you would just open our mouths and allow what comes out to be of you, of your compassion, of your love, of your mercy. God, we rejoice in who you are. We rejoice in the cross of Christ. God, thank you for your presence that we can know who you truly are. It's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen.